This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been practicing, gosh, I figured it up. Actually, it is 25 years now. And I decided a year ago to begin podcasting in order to extend the walls of my practice a little bit, to reach people who may be in therapy but would love to hear what another psychologist has to say about things, or maybe wouldn't even ever consider therapy but are still a bit curious. Today, we're going to be talking about parenting, the hardest job in the world, maybe other than step-parenting, <laughs> especially at this time of the year when kids are going to be out of school and there's less structure and there's so much excitement. Parenting can be really difficult. And you know, when couples come in to see me, they always think that their problems are perhaps unique to them. But actually, most couples, most relationships have essentially the same problems. And there's one argument that I hear between moms and dads. I hear it over and over and over. It basically boils down to who's working harder. It's an ugly argument and one that goes nowhere. So I'm going to talk about seven factors that you can do or add to your repertoire of behavior or your thinking so you can avoid this terribly destructive fight. And then today we're going to have an email from a listener that talks about some of the pragmatics, the business aspects of a relationship with a therapist. She had a specific problem that we're going to talk about, but I'll also generalize to other kinds of things. So sit back and relax or keep going on your walk or whatever you're doing, and we'll talk about parenting. My husband and I were only lucky enough to have one son, but when he was three years old, and no was his favorite expression, my husband and I decided upon a strategy. We hadn't a clue about how draining parenting could be, so we banned the word tired from our vocabulary. I was tired of him saying tired, he was tired of me saying tired, so you know, to try to add a little humor to the situation, we would say things like, I'm extremely fatigued, or I'm totally zonked at the moment. And of course, hopefully, the other one would laugh. Hopefully. But in some ways, this was to avoid an argument that I'd heard over and over again as a therapist between parents. Whether or not they were a dual-career couple or one stayed at home, whether they were divorced, the who's working harder fight is very repetitive and goes nowhere fast and usually leads to a very blaming and defensive argument. Let's see if you have either said some of these things, thought them, or heard your partner say them. For example, I go to work every day and then come home and work some more. I do everything around here. I can't handle how stressed I am at work, and your job is easy compared to mine. Or... You don't understand how hard it is to be with these kids all day long, alone. You get to go to lunch with people. You get adult time. And, this is more for divorced parents, 
You only have them on the weekends, and you don't realize everything that goes into the daily grind. And then believe it or not, I have heard this one. It is 2017, and sometimes I can't believe I'm hearing it, but I hear it. It's your job to keep the kids. I have a job that I go to every day. Whew. I'm not sure where that comment belongs. Somewhere back in the 50s, maybe. But the rest are definite versions of the who's working harder debate. And if you really listen, if you scratch the surface of what people are trying to talk about, you can hear the pressure, the fear, the anxiety, the loneliness, even the jealousy that those statements convey. I like to think of children as little black holes of need, and typically the younger they are, the more this is true. And you may have a child or children who have special needs, children who aren't going to reach normal markers of growing up and away. Parenting, good parenting, is hard work. Of course, it brings a sense of fulfillment that really I haven't found anywhere else, that particular kind of fulfillment. But it's a continuous, nonstop effort for many years. And often, you're not sure you're doing it right, whatever that means. So parents are waffling around in insecurity and ambiguity, hoping that their efforts are rewarded by kids who will launch successfully into their own lives. But that takes a long time. Sure, there are signs along the way that point to whether or not your child is growing in confidence and stability, but a lot of things can happen that frighten the most responsible parent. Drug abuse, alcohol use, sexting over social media, bullying, depression, peer pressure to do crazy things. So we get frightened as adults. And what do a bunch of us do when we're afraid? We feel vulnerable. We feel lost. We reach out to our partner or even ex-partner for help. But if we reach out with blame, it won't go well. You know what's really underneath those statements that I quoted a few minutes ago are thoughts like this. I'm needing a little reassurance from you. Or so often I'm not sure what to do. I worry that we've got too much going on. The kids are on their own and on their iPads all the time. I'm not sure how they're handling the divorce. I'm afraid my job is taking over my life, and I feel like I'm not present with the kids. Those statements are so different than the ones that occur in the who's working harder fight. Now, of course, it's true. It may be that you're not married to or divorced from someone who'd naturally think of having this latter kind of conversation. Or maybe you yourself struggle with revealing any kind of vulnerability. Well, that doesn't mean you can't try. I know I'm a therapist, and so I have to stay optimistic. It's part of my occupation. But there are certain things that we can talk about here today that would help you have a much more healthy kind of conversation when you're feeling overwhelmed and lost and frightened as a parent. I know my own child had two or three phases in his life where he was struggling for different reasons. And I guess that old saying of a mom's only as happy as her least happy child, when he was suffering, I was suffering. I didn't know what to do half the time. But we figured it out slowly. So first, let's talk about the seven things that will help you have healthier conversations when you're frightened, when you're overwhelmed. The first thing is, 
You talk about talking. You try to set up the conversation for success before you actually begin it. For example, you might ask, not permission, but you ask, hey, are you in a place where we can talk about little Janie? Or can we talk about Steve's ADD? Are you in that place? You talk about talking. Well, if that's not true, then you could say, well, I'd really like to talk about it. Let me know when you're in a place to do that. That way you don't approach someone when they're not ready to talk. The second thing is you can take responsibility for what you do and gently point out that sometimes both of you can get angry or blaming, but you're talking about it rationally. You're not jumping down anybody's throat. When we try to have conversations when we're mad, mm, that typically doesn't go well. So waiting until you're not angry and making sure you're taking responsibility for your part. You know, one of the common things that I hear when there's one parent at home and the parent who has a salary job wants to make suggestions or recommendations in what they see, that conversation can go very poorly. So you want to try to see, as the stay-at-home parent, are you including the parent that has the salary job? Or are you making the decisions and kind of feeling like this is your role and not his or hers? Because the one who has a salaried position can often feel left out. So again, looking at all of the dynamic, not just your part. Number three You can look at the idea of whether you show gratitude enough. You know, many of us do not. And that's very important for people to avoid that argument. A fourth factor is when you talk about yourself, not your partner. You use lots of I messages and there have been a lot of parodies of people in therapy and how they're always being so careful in their communication with one another. I feel this, and when you do this, I feel this. You have to just be careful enough in my book. And talking about yourself more than you talk about your partner is usually a good thing to do. The fifth thing that you can do to avoid that who's working harder fight is if you're asking questions, not authoritatively telling your partner something. You can invite them to try to do something better with you. And, you know, they probably want to parent well as well. So y'all are a team. And if you act like a team and treat him or her like they're on your team, things will go better. A sixth choice you can make is, again, to reveal your own vulnerability. Some people really find this hard to do. They never saw it in their own parents. No one ever apologized. No one ever admitted a mistake but it can really help if you do so. Then the seventh thing we've already mentioned a little bit is that you want to set the stage that you want to make decisions together. You want the partnership. You don't want to do this all by yourself. And even though there are differences between the way you think or what you think should happen, both of you have a perspective that's important. I talked about this in an earlier podcast I believe it's called How to Parent Cooperatively. This parenting thing. Oh, goodness, it's so hard. (laughs) So let's hear what this conversation would sound like, at least on one end of it. Now, this may kind of sound psychology-easy to you. I am a therapist, so, you know, 
excuse the fact that it sounds like a therapist is talking, but create your own version of this. Okay, so here we go. This is what someone would say that is trying to avoid the fight of who's working harder. Got it? Okay, here we go. You know, sometimes when we try to talk about the kids, I know I get mad and I want credit for what I'm doing. And sometimes I feel that you do too. It's hard to risk hearing that you may not agree with me about something because I'm worried or scared. I want to get to a place with you where I let you know that I respect you and even thank you more for what you do. And you know what? It would feel good to get that back. But I'd like to try to talk about the problem and then try to be more open about what you're saying because I have a bad habit of not doing that. And I'd love it if you'd be open with me. Would you be willing to do that? Maybe we could even decide what both of us need to try to do this together. Okay, so in that example, again, there was talking about talking. There was taking responsibility for yourself. There was saying, you know, I'm not grateful enough for you. She talked or he, I talked <laughs> mostly about herself, about myself. You ask questions. You invite your partner to have a better healthier discussion with you. You reveal some of your own vulnerability, things that you know that you don't do very well or mistakes that you've made. And then there was definitely the message that you want the partnership. You want to make decisions together. So you can do this if you try. It may be a little awkward at first and probably deteriorate into the same old, same old. But you can get up and try again. My husband and I have this thing that we do when a conversation isn't going very well, in fact, very badly, and one of us will say to the other one, can I have overs? Meaning that we're recognizing that we really screwed up and we want a chance to listen better or to talk less defensively or just be in a better mood or try. It works pretty well because sometimes I do it and then sometimes he does it. So if you deteriorate into the same old, same old, as I said, you can just get up and try again. Ask for overs. Not only will your kids benefit, but maybe you'll hear a little more gratitude for all the hard work that you do. Today's email from a listener is fairly short, really, but it made an interesting point, I thought. Here goes. Would you please share your seven commandments again? That's my seven commandments of good therapy, which actually was featured in the very first podcast. My husband and I recently returned from a city in California where we were to have a private retreat in a neighboring community. The fire started only hours after our arrival in the area, We evacuated in the wee hours, driving through blowing flames and embers and thick smoke. Having been through the experience of truly fearing for our lives, we did not return to the area for our therapy. I understand non-refundable deposits, but with 17 fires raging unchecked in the area, we did not feel that this was the best time for us to be there. When the universe speaks, you'd best listen. Anyway, I'd like to review your seven commandments again, as I feel I may have chosen the wrong therapist for us, or chosen him for the wrong reasons. 
He wanted us to come back despite the crisis and chaos in the area. Thank you for your podcasts, email, and all the information you freely share, which was very nice. You're very welcome. I understand that some people look at therapy very cynically, like therapists are getting paid to care, or therapists are getting paid to listen to people complain about their problems, and nothing could be farther from the truth with a good therapist. Sure, I'm positive that there are therapists out there who care more about the money than they should, and it is a way of earning a living. But just like anything, where you receive help and guidance from someone you trust, then it can be a very helpful and very unique relationship. In this particular instance, where obviously this couple had paid some sort of deposit or down payment on a weekend therapeutic retreat, and it's unclear from her email whether the retreat was actually called off or whether it continued. It sounds like it continued despite the fires. I can only project myself into this situation. Certainly, my own cancellation policy is fairly lenient in that if someone wakes up in some sort of emergency situation or with a sick child or whatever it happens to be, I don't charge them for the session. Now, if they forget or they are avoiding something and they don't, aren't clear with me that they aren't going to come, then yes, I will charge. It's also important, however, to realize that my patients have all signed a contract up front where this is explained to them. They know the fee. They know the process. Now, if I want to be kind to this therapist, I can wonder if he was concerned that you were developing PTSD or post-traumatic stress or having a reaction that he could be helpful with by not coming. But it does sound like he wasn't understanding how frightened you were and what a terrible experience it had been for you. That I would have considered an emergency and very understandable that you weren't there. The reason why I pulled this email out is that it is important to understand the business end of a therapeutic relationship, and it's very important, and I talk about that in my Seven Commandments of Good Therapy, for that legal contract to be understood by everyone. You're also protected with that contract in that the therapist signs it, and within it, it should say something about confidentiality, something about the hours of the session how you'll receive statements, whether or not they file insurance, or how they provide you with information so that you can file insurance yourself. All of the business aspects of a therapeutic relationship should be well-defined. And sometimes the people who make good therapists don't particularly make good business people. So you need to make sure as you're shopping around or as you are asking people what they like about their therapist, Make sure they say, you know, she or he handles the business end of the relationship very well. I always know what's going on. If there was a mistake made in the billing, she takes responsibility for that and fixes it as quickly as possible. I feel very safe in that area of the relationship as well. I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. And so you certainly need and want to feel very safe and secure and trusting with your therapist. Again, if you're interested in my Seven Commandments of Good Therapy, I talked about it in my very first podcast, which, by the way, I edited myself, so 
no telling what it'll be. I now have a wonderful audio engineer, John, who really helps me with all of this. So I hope that's a helpful answer. I want to thank you for joining me today on Self Work. There are a lot of ways to reach out to me, and I love it when you do. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. Those emails are totally confidential. If you don't want me to use them or read them on the air, please just let me know, and I won't. But I do try to get back to each and every one of you who writes in. It helps me so much to know what you're going through, what your life is like, what maybe you would like to hear me talk about, or a particular podcast that you have found helpful. So please get in touch with me when you can. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and I'm so excited. I'm launching a new website on December the 17th. I really am excited about the way it looks and the interactions that you can have with it. In fact, the podcast is featured much more prominently on the new website. You can subscribe to that website and you'll receive a weekly newsletter with both my blog posts for that week and my podcast for that week as well. So that's a great way to keep up with self-work. Of course, I truly am very grateful for any and all of you who've left a rating or review. The ones I see most are on iTunes and I so appreciate it. Ratings and reviews are really the best way to keep self-work going and growing. And a rating only takes like three seconds. (laughs) And a review, maybe a couple of minutes. You can remain confidential as well. So I'd love for you to consider that if you enjoy listening to self-work. And of course, subscribe. Subscriptions are really crazy. They go up and down. It's fascinating to me. But When you subscribe, I obviously realize that you're looking forward to the next podcast. Sometimes people ask me, do you do all this and still see patients? And I see 30 to 35 patients a week. So I love doing the podcast, but it certainly is great motivation for people to subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks so much. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.